Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. Anyway, welcome. Um, If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Jared. My wife and I are the lead pastors here. And um, we're going to be jumping into our new sermon series called uh, Update Required. Yeah, that's what we ended up naming it. Uh, have you guys ever been like on your phone and you're just swiping through and having a good time and all of a sudden there's a screen that comes on and says update required and you're like, come on, I don't want to press continue because then it's going to take 20 minutes for the stupid thing to update. So I do the remind me later and then it reminds me five minutes later. I'm like, stop it. An update on a phone is always meant to improve it, right? It's to improve the functionality. It goes in, it changes the code and then you can play around with the software better and it allows it to be more efficient for your use and for the broader connectivity of your network. This is, I think, what the New Testament really presents in the next couple passages that we're going to go through in Luke. Jesus, in the next three passages, is going to bring up three different topics in which he will take an Old Testament concept and he will go ahead and change a little bit of it so that it continues to function. Those three things that we'll be talking about for the next three weeks is, number one, prayer and fasting. The second one is going to be the Sabbath. And the third is going to be Israel. Those are three things that Jesus will talk about, about how those tweak, what those look like. But today we're going to talk about what is prayer and fasting in the new covenant. So let's go ahead and dive into the text. I'm going to be touching a few passages, so I'm going to start in Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 1 through 3, then I'm going to drop down to chap- uh, verses 20 through 24. But th- here's where I'm going to land. We're going to go back to our Luke series. So if you guys want to uh, go ahead of me, you guys can go in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. In Daniel 9, chapter, uh, verse 1, it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Asherias, who became the king of, Babel, of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from the reading of the word of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lay desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. Skipping down. As I I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, 
to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to, conform, uh, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Luke 5. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? And Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast with celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from their new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined, and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Let's go ahead and pray. Come Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come and speak to us, that you would open up the text, that you would just be a part of this, that you would just speak to us and teach us and just anoint this message in Jesus' name. So let's go back to Daniel 9 for a moment, right? So Daniel, he's old. He's been in Babylon for 60-some-odd years in exile. As a young child, he'd been carried away by the Babylonians when they sacked Jerusalem. And Daniel has served in the highest of places in Babylon that has now been conquered by Persia. And Daniel is in his little room, and he's reading the text, and he pulls out the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah was speaking about a time in which Israel had been exiled. They'd been kicked out of their time, but they were only supposed to be kicked out for 70 years. That they were going to go back to the land, and they were going to enjoy Jerusalem again. And so Daniel is a little bit proactive, knowing full well that this is really close. He decides to throw on the burlap sack, throw on the ashes on his face, and begins to fast and pray. And he begins to confess his sin and begins to go through all the sins of Israel. And while he's praying this prayer, Gabriel shows up and says, hey, I'm going to take you guys back. You guys are going to go back home, just like the prophet Jeremiah said. But there's a catch to that. You guys are going to go back, but everything's not right yet. Everything is still needing some time to be fixed. So he says there's, there's 70 sets of seven, which comes down to 490 years. And he says, at the end of this 490 years, then we will deal with the sin issue. Then we're going to deal with the rebellion issue. Then we're going to update everything, and you're going to have everlasting righteousness, and the holy place is going to be established. So let's jump forward 490 years or so. 490 is a, it's a figurative number to talk about the Jubilee, and we've talked about that in past talks. But Jesus shows up about that time. He shows up on the scene, and as we've been in the series of Luke, Jesus has gone to the river, the, the river Jordan, been baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit came upon him, and he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. He defeats the temptations, and he comes to Nazareth, his hometown, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to set free those who are captive, to heal the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to declare the, favor, the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus understood his vocation to be one of a liberator, 
One, to set people free. Jesus comes onto the scene and he heals the sick. He casts out the demons that are tormenting people's minds. And now, in the last couple passages, he started to forgive sins. The new age has come in Jesus. Everything that has been anticipated by the prophets is now happening, but not without resistance. The Pharisees are like, hey, why are your guys not fasting like our guys? Why do you guys get to like hang out and be super merry while we have to be over here and dress in burlap sacks and fast all the time? And Jesus responds in Jesus' witty fashion. Jesus might be the most witty person ever. And he says, hey, why would you go to, like, why in the world would the wedding guests fast? They're hanging out with me. I'm the groom. And maybe at some point in time when I go away for a little while, they'll fast. But you have to realize that the wedding feast has come. The dirge is over. The funeral's done. That's over with. I'm bringing the new age. And that's what Jesus is bringing, is the new age. The kingdom has arrived in Jesus. And that is what we're going to tackle today. So to touch on this concept of Daniel, right? So from the time that the, uh, the Jews come back into the land after the exile, they are taking the Torah, the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah and the prophets. They're taking it very seriously. And so they, constru- they, con- uh, they compile, there we go, that's the right word. They compile a list of doctrines that end up becoming what we know as Judaism, right? And so as they're going through this, they're looking at texts like Daniel 9. They're looking at texts that are talking about uh, the exile, what caused them to be. And they're looking at these texts to say, okay, at some future point, the kingdom's going to arrive, and we are going to be set free. But until that point, you know what? We need to pray for that kingdom to come. The Pharisees prayed for the kingdom to come. N.T. Wright writes in his commentary in the book of Luke, he says, Fasting in Judaism, in the various sects and groups of Jesus' day, was a sign of waiting, of bewailing, the present time when God's kingdom still had not arrived. It was a way to look back to the disasters that had befallen Israel and humbling oneself in repentance to pray for God's mercy. So we see that though the Jews had come back to Israel to some degree, many of them stayed out there. So like if you were with us during our Pentecost talk, when we talked about exile, we had talked about how all the Jews still lived out in the known world, but some had come back. And so the Pharisees are looking toward this time in which there would be a Messiah who would come onto the, onto the scene, and all of a sudden they would rally the groups, and everyone would join in, and then Israel and her Messiah would conquer the nations and rule over them. That was the idea that the first century Jews had of their Messiah. And so what this ended up looking like is the rabbis and the Pharisees, they would make a show of this. They would dress themselves up in burlap sacks, they would throw ash on their face, and they would fast, and they would walk around, and they would just look like they're mourners. And they were saying, if we suffer, then maybe what we'll do is we'll bring the kingdom. We're partnering with the suffering so that our suffering would usher in the kingdom, right? And this was kind of ratified by like the books like the Maccabees and the Apocrypha. 
But when Jesus shows up in this text, he builds a completely different contrast. Jesus comes and he is now bringing the kingdom to us. Jesus brings the kingdom. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, he's doing the exact opposite. He's not doing the morning scene. He's not throwing ashes on his face. He is healing the sick. He is raising the dead. He is casting out demons. He is forgiving sins. All of the anticipation has now been brought forward. And so now the kingdom, the wedding feast, has come. So when Jesus talks about this analogy, Jesus is bringing the wedding banquet, right? So he's like, I am the groom. Here's the new wine. The new wine is replacing the old wine. The new clothes are the clothes, the wedding clothes, that now exchange for the burlap sack. Don't wear that anymore. You don't need to, you don't need to be in anticipation for the end. You don't need to be worried about the rapture. You don't have to be worried about the day of the Lord. Now let's talk about the present time. Let's focus on what God is doing presently, not so worried about what he will do. Let me clarify that statement for a second, too. I don't want to just ramble that statement off without giving some context. In a lot of ways, modern teachers put a lot of emphasis on Jesus is coming soon, and the world is getting darker and darker. And to, a part of that is true. That is a reality in which, you know, the world is breaking. We should anticipate the end being dark. But at the same time, light is going out. The kingdom is still here. The, the kingdom has been brought in Jesus. And so we present a hope as we pray for people, as we fast, because prayer and fasting is no longer about the waiting of the kingdom. It's now, how does the kingdom come in and invade this moment? What I want to present today is that Jesus has brought the kingdom, that our hope is that when he returns, all of this is made right. But Jesus came in the middle of human history to bring the kingdom to set people free. So that there's a part of the kingdom that is here, and yet we have an anticipation of the kingdom to come. And so fasting, as Jesus says, that while the groom is here, while he is here, they don't need to fast. But when I leave for a moment, then they'll fast, right? So what he's saying there is there will be a time where Jesus is absent. And so Jesus is going to return. He's gone to heaven, as we talked about with Pentecost, and he will return. But while he's away, pray, pray and, praying and fasting has shifted from I'm awaiting the return and everything's just going to be made right then to God is now intervening on behalf of humans. God is now coming in the midst and healing. He's now saving people. He's forgiving sins. The new age has, a, has come in Jesus and yet will fully come when Jesus returns. So we live between the ages. That's what I'm trying to say. So hopefully that wasn't lost in translation. So when we are praying and fasting, we're not praying and fasting in mourning. We're praying and fasting with the anticipation that God wants to meet our needs. God wants to do something here and now. Our role is to live in the present with the knowing that Jesus is returning, but to focus on today that you and I are focused on meeting the needs of the broken, that you and I are focused on meeting the needs of us right here, 
because we struggle, we're in pain, and God wants to meet our needs. He wants to love us. He wants to be a part of this life. That is why he sent Jesus. That is why we have the Holy Spirit. So praying and fasting is now our responsibility to partner with God to bring the kingdom to bear, which I want to kind of bring a paradigm shift. So I have three principles tonight that I want to go over. One is going to be praying for God to act on behalf of others. When we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this means that we are asking God to intervene in the here and now for the needs of others. So when we're praying for people to get saved, like part of prayer is praying for people that are outside this room who are far away from Christ, who, didn't know, who don't know Jesus or knew Jesus and have walked away. And a part of that prayer life that we have is to pray that God would soften their heart that God would get a hold of them, that God would meet their needs, and like he did for you, he, he kind of wooed you back by meeting all of these circumstances. He changed your heart by showing you he is your provider. We want to be praying for people in that way, where it's like, God, would you meet the needs of Joe? Would you come and just soften his heart back to the gospel? Because the role of the Holy Spirit is that he is the one that's grabbing their heart and changing them back. Another part of prayer is also when we're in the middle of a conversation, when you are hanging out with people or talking with people, and in the middle of a conversation, I might be talking to, to Patrick, and Patrick would just mention something that he's got a pain in, like he's struggling with anxiety, or he's struggling with depression, or you know, he might have something that's going on uh, in his body. And a part of our job is to ask the Holy Spirit to come to bring the kingdom in that moment, to say, how can I pray for you right now? Now, a couple weeks ago, when I was doing my talk on empowerment, in Pentecost empowerment, I talked about how the Spirit gives us gifts, that each of us have gifts of the Spirit, and God uses us to minister. I want to compare that and contrast that just a bit and put attention there, because if I say, hey, you know, uh, Dad, if you're, if you're talking with somebody and you're ministering to somebody and all of a sudden that person is, has a broken arm and you think, well, I don't have the gift of healing. I have to now go back to get prayed for by David who has a gift of healing. And maybe if David prays for me and I received a gift of healing, then the next time I can come and have that conversation with, you know, Joe and pray for him then. Well, I want to pull that back a little bit too because you don't have to have a gift of healing to pray for healing because God is sovereign. He, he decides when to distribute gifts. So when we pray for people, we can always be in expectation that God is going to meet the needs of the person in front of me regardless if I received a gift or if I you know, had some sort of encounter and I'm doing these things. It's not about that. God's kingdom comes when we declare him. And God is sovereign to act in his own way. So we don't need to just say, I'm gifted this way, therefore God only works this way. We are to expect that God can use me in any way possible to meet the need of the person in front of me because God loves that person in front of me. Because the kingdom has arrived 
in part through Jesus, we should, we should anticipate God acting for the sake of the world. Praying for others' needs is our, primary, is our primary partnership in the kingdom. By doing this, we demonstrate to others that God is active in the here and now, and that he is not distant and far off. Jesus is king now, and the kingdom is advancing in the present. The second principle I want to lay out to you is we should be praying that God act for us. God loves us too. I think sometimes we get in this category of God will do something for somebody else, but I don't need that. I'm okay. Or I've been disappointed by God before and I, I really don't think that God's going to meet my needs. I want to dispel that right here and right now because the scripture is anything but that truth. Matthew 7 gives this whole dictation where Jesus is talking with people and he goes into this crowd and he says, don't worry about tomorrow. You see the birds of the air. Do you see the flowers of the field? Do you see how beautiful that those flowers are? They're more beautifully clothed than the princes and the kings of this world. And do you see the birds of the air? I feed them. How much more do you think that I'll meet your needs? How much more do you think my father will meet your needs? God is, God is so enwrapped in meeting our needs and drawing us close. And a part of that is just recognizing that he loves us, that he wants that relationship. Let me read Luke chapter 11. Jesus, Jesus says this, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God is interested in meeting your needs because he's your father. This is a relationship that you now have. You are now a part of the family of God. Jesus says it this way. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, then you may ask what you desire and it will be given to you. We're in a relationship with God where we are allowed to ask him for things. But to also kind of bring some balance to that statement, is, let's say, Zach, David, Tiff, you guys are parents, and your children come up to you, and they ask you for this thing, and you have a five-year-old kid who wants a BB gun, right? <laughs> well, you're not going to say, you can't have that BB gun. It's not that this person can't have a BB gun eventually. It's just not at five. It's not that, you know, this kid cannot have this because it's dangerous. This person has to be trained how to do this. So there's going to be that initial no, but God's going to eventually maybe do something later. It's, as a parent, you're looking at the situation of the children. If they have an audacious statement there, you know, thank you. I can't speak English today. I'm mumbling all over the place. As parents, we know it's best for our children. And when we ask God for these things, he may say, no, that's not good for you. You may want that, but that's not what you need. Just like your story. You wanted these things. 
you wanted these things, but God said, hey, I've got something much better for you. And so as we're praying, God answers what he wants in his will, but he also has your best interests in mind. And so as we pray, we ask for things, but he's also bringing you to a place of faith, into a place of peace, into a place of power. The last principle I want to say is this, that we should be praying for the Holy Spirit to come continually. Like that passage that I just wrote, said at the end, it says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're not talking about a one-time Holy Spirit drop. We're talking about a present moment where we can say, Father, would you send the Holy Spirit? Or like we like to use the shorthand, come Holy Spirit. Would you come Holy Spirit and step into this situation? Would you come and bring me peace? Would you come and meet my heart's needs? Would you come and meet Heather's needs? Would you come and do what you do? A part of this relationship that we're in with God is that we are putting all of the cards back into his table. Ministry is easy when it's not on you to do. Because, Patrick, no matter what you want to do in life, you can't heal anybody. You can't save anyone. You can't be so persuasive that people come and just accept Jesus. The Holy Spirit's the one that does the work. He's the one that softens the hearts. He's the one that heals. He's the one that does the thing. So if you go into ministry understanding that you are just a vessel in this and that he's the one that's doing the work, it takes all the pressure off of you to say, I have to have so much faith to get this thing done. I have to have so much faith that that person is not going to get healed. I have to have so much faith that this is not going to happen in my life. Faith is not a force. Faith is an assurance that God's with you. Faith is an assurance that he's right next to us and that he's not distant, that he's present. And that when we ask him to meet our needs, he's there and he hears us. I'll say this one thing. Daniel is in this moment and he's praying and Gabriel comes to him and he says, the moment you started praying, a command went out. Just understand that God hears you. If it's a yes or a no, just understand that he's got his best intentions for us. And he wants to meet the needs of his people because his kingdom is still advancing. So don't put all the weight on you to say, come Holy Spirit and do what you can do. And expect him to move because that's who God is. Would you stand? I'll pray. Father, we thank you we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, just to come and, and break the bonds of sin in our life. That you've come to give us your Holy Spirit and to bring about peace and power. And Lord, I just pray over our people tonight that they would just be infused with a desire to pray more. That they would be infused with a desire to see you move in their circumstances in their life. And I ask that you would bless them in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard Podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website at vineyardtruenorth.churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.